Hey, y'all. If you tuned into episode 26 with Drew Martin, you probably heard me talking about Studio Sweden headphones. And if you didn't, well, now you will. Studio Sweden is a company from Sweden that makes high-quality wireless headphones and earbuds. I'm normally a total cheapskate, and I get headphones for my iPod on a certain shopping website. I'm not going to name names, uh, but we'll say they're like the Mr. Burns of Seattle. But anyway, yeah, you might get a pair of headphones for a lot cheaper, but they break down in like two months. That stupid thing happens where it only plays in one ear, and then you got to buy a whole new set all over again, and you end up blowing a bunch of money. So make the investment on a quality pair of headphones from Studio Sweden. Uh, they're wireless. You can connect them with Bluetooth, which uh, saves a lot of hassle. So use the discount code TATP and get 15% off your purchase. That's Studio Sweden, spelled S-U-D-I-O. Go to their link that I put in the episode description. Treat yourself to some high-fidelity sound. You're listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 29, we have Davey Ingersoll of the band The Echo Larks. Davey grew up in Tri-Cities, Washington, and has been playing music professionally since the mid-90s. His former band, which was called Loudermilk and later Gosling, was on several different major labels. They played with bands such as Velvet Revolver and even appeared on an episode of Dawson's Creek before eventually breaking up due to issues with their label. But after a period of playing solo, Davey finally came out to Seattle with his lovely new band, The Echo Larks. They're a dream pop slash power pop five piece, and Davey sings, plays guitar, and writes the songs for the band. Their first EP came out earlier this year, and they're playing after Niagara Moon at Subtle Triumph's album release show at Lo-Fi on July 29th. So now we're going to hear our first song from the Echo Larks. This is called Eloquence.
Thanks for coming over. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what do you play? I play guitar and sing. Nice. Yeah. And uh, when did you start playing guitar? About 16. So uh, what, what got you started on that? What were you listening to? Um, I, I was playing, playing the drums, and my cousin was a guitar player, and he's about a year and a half younger than me. Um, and I just started watching him play. We would play together a lot, just drums, drums and guitar. <clears throat> so I started kind of having a hankering to play the guitar, but mainly I decided I wanted to write songs, and mm-hmm. I couldn't really do that on the drums. So I started, uh, I kind of just left the drums behind at that moment. So you started playing guitar as a way to be able to write songs. Right, yeah. And did you start singing at around the same time? Yeah, that felt like it was pretty... Singing and playing guitar seemed like they just went together. My family are all... uh, On my dad's side of the family, almost all of them are musicians and sing and play instruments. So that was just seemed like a very natural thing that you would do is sing and play the guitar. Hmm. And that's what my dad's primary instrument was as well. So, But you first started out on drums. Right, yeah. Uh, my dad and my uncle had a studio in eastern Washington in Tri-Cities, and they were always recording there, um, and my uncle was a drummer. And so I was about nine, and my uncle started showing me how to play beats on the drums. And I never got serious about it. I started getting a little more serious when I was probably like 14 or 15, but I never got serious about music until I decided I wanted to write songs and play guitar. And uh, around that time, what were you listening to? Who were your musical heroes? At the time, so I lived in Tri-Cities, Eastern Washington, and this was probably... Was this the Nirvana days? Yes, yeah. So it was Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Green River, uh, the Lemonheads. But I remember trying to have my dad show me these uh, Soundgarden riffs or these Green River guitar riffs because they, um, especially the Green River stuff, seemed simple enough that I could figure it out or wrap my head around it. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I was listening to. I think the first songs I learned on the guitar were, like, Beatles songs and Smashing Pumpkins songs Mm. and Soundgarden songs. Um, Those were around, I think, the first songs... Oh, and Grand Funk Railroad, actually. That's like a big like family band that all my family is into. So I'm Your Captain was one of the first songs I don't think I've ever heard play. them. Oh, okay. They're a big 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of surprised to hear there weren't uh, more 60s musicians you were listening to at the time. I don't know. Just having heard some Echo Lark songs, I hear a huge like Phil Spector kind of 60s radio pop thing going on. Yeah. But maybe that came um, later. I mean, I, I was, uh, I guess at that time, it was probably mainly just the Beatles that I was listening to from that era. Um, it wasn't until 
I was in my early to mid-20s that I really started listening to more of the kinks and the zombies and all of that stuff. But I was kind of, you know, starting to get into Britpop Mm -hmm. when I was in my late teens, too. So all of that stuff sort of led me. Yeah, Oasis and Pulp and... The uh, Verve. Yeah, and the Stone Roses. Oh, they're great, yeah. And all that stuff sort of led me to more 60s stuff of listening to the birds, and then I got really into Harry Nilsson and and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good songwriters in that bunch. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, your dad was a musician. He had a studio. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, hang around there much growing up? Yeah. Um, I My parents were divorced, so I would spend the summers with my dad. And his studio was just up the road from our apartment, so I would just ride my bike there. And oh. I'd cruise in, hang out at the studio, then go ride my bike around the neighborhood in this abandoned hotel or whatever for a while till I'd get bored, go back to the studio. And I would make my own... They had this demo tape, these demo tapes that were little snippets of stuff that they had worked on because they were starting to also write jingles. Hmm. So I would create my own demos in there of all the different drum beats that I knew how to play and like have my own little voice over at the end. And I didn't know at the time that DWI meant driving while intoxicated. And that was my initials. So I would, this little kid voice at the end going, another DWI production. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and this was back in the days of tape? I think it was on tape. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Because this would have been 85-ish. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you'd have your run of the studio. Yeah, pretty much. You're making your, your demos. And uh, what kind of artists would uh, record there? Uh, it was Did mainly, you ever watch any sessions go down? Or? Yeah, it was mainly my dad and my uncles were in a band together, um, so they would be working on their stuff or also trying to get work doing jingles or whatever. So it was usually just their stuff. Um, they might bring in guest musicians to do stuff on these jingles but mm-hmm. I mainly just saw them working on their own oh, things. So it's like dad, their personal studio. Yeah, and my dad working on um, his own songs. Wow. What was the uh, the biggest hit jingle they ever did? Oh, uh, ever they had make one. Make anything that got picked up? Yeah, they had one that played, I think, maybe just locally in Tri-Cities but it played for years and years for Les Gavar, Lincoln Mercury and it was like Everybody in Eastern Washington knows that jingle. How does that one go? It's in this really high voice <laughs> for this woman singer. It's like, let's go Lincoln Mercury. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everybody there uh, knows that's that. That's awesome. Yeah. What kind of music would your dad make aside from that? He had a pretty big range as a writer, I guess, and that's... At the time when I was a kid, he was his stuff was very having a lot of like drum machine stuff and synthy. Okay, yeah, it was the stuff 80s. and yeah, like guitars with weird, like not just traditional solos, but kind of these feedbacky, oh, weird kind like of Adrian Blue sort of thing. Yeah, so it was kind of like almost kind of new wavey, but it 
that was what he was writing at the time. Um, so it was kind of like still some stuff left over from the 70s, and then it was getting into the 80s. So it was like... Mish-mash. It, it's hard, yeah, exactly. And I think that happens in small towns, too, where you're a product of, especially at that time, probably what you hear on the radio is this big world and you don't necessarily have this specific identity as an artist. So you just sort of pick up Mm. whatever's going on in popular culture. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you're probably a handful of years behind the curve of what's going on. And I mean, even at that time, Seattle was probably considered a small town as well. So yeah. Wow. Nowadays there aren't really any trends, at least with songwriting. Yeah, everything's sort of in its own niche now, yeah. So with uh, the Echo Larks, how do you guys present yourselves musically? Like, what would you say your your style is or your niche in that way? Um, I, I've had a hard time trying to define what it is we do because I, I try to make something that's somewhat cohesive sounding, but I have such a huge variety of things that I am influenced by. And when I am so predominantly influenced by songwriting as opposed to song style, yeah, I really can be super into things like Graham Parsons or the Burrito Brothers that's like, you know, way more country or Americana or uh, Jesus and Mary Chain or, you know, so... It's all over the map. Um, But I guess when I started the Echo Larks, I came from these bands that were pretty big sonically. They were big sounding. And I started to kind of, those bands broke up. And then I started to venture down this solo artist road. And at that time, it was very starting to sound very Harry Nilsson-ish, very singer-songwritery. And I just found that playing by myself was a lonely road that I didn't really want to go down. I would play a show, and you play a good show, there's no one to celebrate with, or you play a bad show, and there's no one to commiserate with. And so I really liked being in a band. And so I love all these like singer-songwriters, Ray Davies and... John Lennon and Paul McCartney and Pete Townsend and Harry Nilsson, all the all these people. But then I love these bands that are less about the songwriting and this sonic thing, unique sonic experience that they've kind of created. Mm-hmm. So like My Bloody Valentine or or Jesus and Mary yeah, Jane yeah. or. It's the, um, Stone the, Roses. the overall sound as a band. Yeah, they everybody cre- plays together. Yeah, they create this unique. So I kind of tried to find something, some way to marry those two. We kind of oh. have these unique limitations that we've placed sonically of what we, like the colors we're going to play with. Yeah, yeah. And then I almost think of these, this song that I write as its thing that could exist on its own with just an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and voice. And then I kind of try to approach it as if this band that I imagine, the Echo Larks, 
covering this song. Mm. So what kind of choices would they make or what kind of things would they cut out? Yeah. Or leave in or deconstruct or... Interesting. So yeah, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah, having heard some of your songs. Because they really, they do stand out on their own. They're very melody-driven. Right, yeah. And the structure's all there and everything. But then the Echolarks does have a certain kind of sonic approach to each of those songs. Right. So you do go for big and you go for kind of reverby and... Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's a big kind of lush sonic quality to it. I try not to get... There's some bands in this like kind of dream pop shoegaze thing that it's almost like they can't, they're buried so deep in yeah, it that I... they're lost in the haze that they can't I, have a good song. Right, to where it's like a lot of the bands that I love actually have that influence in there, but it's just one ingredient. And with everything being so, like I said, nowadays everyone's found their own weird niche of stuff that they're into. And they're, yeah. they're, a lot of people are very specific about, I'm into this kind of thing. So for these kind of like shoegaze purists it's like become this kind of overwhelming genre Mm. that I mean I like some of the stuff that's in it but I tend to like a lot more bands that uh had that as one ingredient right it's not enough it's not the primary driving force it's just a ingredient in it yeah yeah, I mean, how many, like, My Bloody Valentine knockoff bands are there out there right now? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> it's like a certain kind of sound to draw from, but, yeah, it doesn't really hold up by itself. You kind of need to inject more. Yeah, I mean, obviously for some people it does hold up by itself, but for me, it, you can start listening to a record, and by about the third track, I'm I'm starting to lose interest, you know. Yeah, you know what's next. Yeah, exactly. So how long you been... Going with the Echolarks, when did you guys all form? Uh, we originally formed, I had moved from Los Angeles back to my hometown in Trace Cities and decided to put the band together. I knew that I would. we were moving at some point, but I didn't want to wait to do that. I wanted to get something off the ground. So I started it there, um, and then... We moved to Seattle. So we were a band for a short period of time in Tri-Cities with a different drummer and a different bass player. And then we relocated to Seattle. My wife, Grace, plays synth and sings Mm. in the band. So she obviously came with me. And then our guitar player uh, moved to Seattle as well. And then we found our drummer and bass player up here. Nice. Yeah. So it's a five-piece. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few years you guys have been gone? Uh, yeah, it's about it's been about two years, yeah, because we've been in Seattle coming up on three years, but by the time we got here and got settled and then started looking for people to play with, and get, it was probably a little chunk of time before we actually were together and playing shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a couple of years. So who came up with the name Echo Larks? That's pretty catchy. Oh, thanks. Uh, I did, actually. My previous bands had names that I I wanted them to be vague and not so specific because I didn't like the idea of getting trapped in any kind of genre mm-hmm. or 
being beholden to something or somebody seeing a name and going, oh, you've got to be that kind of a band. Right. And I actually felt like that kind of bit us later, like it was too vague or something. So for this, I wanted to have a name that sounded like what we sound like, like when you hear the name. So I just... It took me a while, and I just kind of had a whiteboard with lots of different words on it that I liked and that I kept coming back to and then trying different combinations of words until something stuck. Hmm. It's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. It's tough to come up with a band name these days because everything is everything taken. Everything is taken. Yeah. yeah. So. so does Echo Larks have any special significance to you, or it's just a general thing that you thought mm. kind of encapsulates what you guys sound like yeah i think it's just i mean every band name my old bands the first one was called louder milk and uh it was a last name this is pre-internet age so i had no idea about john d louder milk this blues guitar player guy Hmm. so people thought it was like a nod to him or they thought that later on when the internet started becoming a thing because then you could see People, both things would come up in Google. Yeah, I didn't know about him, and a lot of young people didn't know about him. Um, But then people thought it was some nod to him, like a blues thing. But it was just a word that I heard that created like a good visual image in my head. Yeah. Um, And I liked that it was sort of vague. It didn't sound like any one particular kind of band. Mm -hmm. And then we later changed our name to Gosling. And, and then Ryan Gosling became famous. Exactly. <laughs> and then Ryan Gosling not only became famous, but then he started a band, too. So now you can't even Google Gosling Band uh, and find us very easily. Yeah. Buried under all Ryan Gosling's abs or whatever. Yeah, I interviewed someone here. They're now called Shark Lakes, but they used to be called Lando. And that was right before the Star Wars renaissance with... Uh, mm-hmm. The Force Awakens, when that came out, that kind of crushed their <laughs> their Google ability. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Names names are hard, but you seem to come out pretty well with that one. Yeah. Um, so with Echo Larks, do you write all the songs? Yeah. Do you bring them to the band pretty fully formed, and then just figure out a way to arrange them within the group, or do you take in people's yeah, ideas I along the way? Usually have. Um, the song mostly done and structured and then i'll start i'll bring it to the band and we'll start playing it i usually bring it to the guitar player first and start trying to if there's parts that i hear in my head that i want him to play that are specific we start working on those or sometimes i go this needs this kind of a thing here and he might come up with something or he might come up with something and I might go, oh, that's great. Maybe just change this ending or something. Um, So I will go to him usually first and then we will play it usually as a band and I kind of don't have the form of the song fully cemented. I have an idea. But then as I hear it as we're playing with the band, I can go, oh, this is needs to be cut or this isn't this needs to go again or whatever. So I'll make right. kind of some like revisions or edits in the structure, but melodically and all that, it's all done. And then I will work on synth parts 
um, with Grace, and then I write the lyrics, and I work on the harmonies with Grace, and then we, and then we're done. Yeah, put it together. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see how a song evolves when it's just first mainly in your head, like you have an idea of how it's supposed to go down, and then when you finally have everybody doing their parts, and it's, it can be an interesting contrast sometimes. Yeah. The older I get, the more I can really, I guess I trust what I'm hearing in my head, and I really, I feel like it's easier to get what's in my head out of the band, like for the band to do that, and just sort of trust that what's there should be there. Yeah, that's a great skill to have developed. <laughs> it can be pretty frustrating early on figuring out how to translate your ideas to... Yeah, and then you don't trust yourself as much either because you're you're like, man, I hear this in my head, but maybe my ideas aren't that cool and this someone else is going, no, I think it should go like this, and you'll go, oh, okay, maybe I guess play it like that. Yeah, self that. Oops, my fridge went off. Self, <laughs> self-doubt can uh, hinder <laughs> the yeah. creative process for sure. So you guys just put out an EP not too long ago, right? Right, yeah. So that was uh, this year? Yeah, it says that it came out on the EP in 2016, but that's because we had the actual vinyl pressed by then, and I wasn't. we just did it ourselves, so I wasn't mm. quite thinking ahead. But it didn't come out until April of, of this, this year. year. Yeah. And it's called? It's just called EP. Oh, EP. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's four songs, but it's really interesting that they're the most, it's the most pop thing that I've ever done. And yet the songs are the longest mm. things that I've ever written. They're pretty lengthy songs, but I think it's because, uh, do a lot of this like building in the intros and outros. So I think sandwiched in the middle of these long intro and outros are pop songs. Yeah. I think that's what's making them long, but I'm hmm. not fully sure. <laughs> they just they take their time to to get there. Yeah. But then they're pretty concise in the middle. Yeah, I think so. You're also you're playing with us at Subtle Triumphs album release show. Yeah. At Lo-Fi. Have you done a lot of gigs in Seattle by this point? I feel like, yeah, we've been playing pretty consistently since we started playing. Um, this will be our first show at the at the Lo-Fi. So I love uh, being back in Seattle. I lived here in the late 90s, from probably 97 to 2000. And my bands back then played a lot in Seattle. And some of those venues aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, but... I just, I feel like this is a fun city to just play every venue. Every venue has its cool thing. Where when I lived in Los Angeles, I felt like, oh, this place is fun to play. This place is a drag. It's you know, Yeah, like you go over to the west side of Hollywood and yeah, it's just a weird vibe. And then there's the east side that had more venues that were fun to play. So if I ever try to get a gig down in Los Angeles, the east side is the the part to check out? I haven't been there since I left in, like, 2010. So when when I was there, it was Spaceland, but I think that's changed now. But that was, like, 
the main place we played a lot. Hmm. So overall, doing music back up here in Seattle versus uh, the Tri-Cities area or Los Angeles, I mean, how do you think it compares? I, I mean, I love it. I When we moved to, my old band moved to Seattle from Tri-Cities, I just really felt like this is where I belonged. And we moved to Los Angeles to make a record, and I always saw myself as somebody that lived in Seattle, even though we were there. Yeah. And we just sort of wound up always being there. And so we eventually just fully moved there. But I felt like in my heart, I always, I never felt like a Angelino. I, was, I think a lot of people in Los Angeles probably feel that yeah, way. Yeah, I just always felt like I belonged in Seattle, so... Yeah. Even though I was there a lot longer than what I've been here, I definitely feel like at home here, and I always feel excited to play music here. And Great that you're in the right place yeah. at this point. What were the uh, the highlights of your trek down to Los Angeles with your past musical projects, anything? Well, our band, Loudermilk, uh, we signed um, to American Recordings, Rick Rubin's label, when we were here in 99. And so then we went to make a record in Los Angeles uh, with George Draculius, a really awesome producer. And so we went to go make that record. And then it was just a long journey of, uh, they were moving from Columbia to Island Def Jam. And we sort of took that opportunity to get out of our contract. Mm with them because we'd started to have um, some disagreements. And then uh, DreamWorks Records bought that record from them. Uh, Michael Goldstone, uh, who had signed like Pearl Jam and Mother Love Bone and Shudder to Think and a lot of these bands that we loved, uh, he signed us to DreamWorks Records and bought that record from American. So then they put it out and then we just toured and promoted that record. And it was a strange place to be because I th we sold a good amount of records, but they wanted us to sell millions of records. Mm. And so I this was This was a time of, also in the industry was kind of in a crisis. Yeah, absolutely. So this that. was 2002 yeah. to 2003-ish. And so I thought, oh, man, this was a flop. But then other people, when we were uh, pursuing other managers, they seemed to be impressed by the amount of records we had sold. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I, it never dawned on me that maybe it wasn't that bad. It's a matter of perspective. Uh, right. And so then we got signed. Oh, yeah. So then DreamWorks got sold to Interscope and then... We played a bad, like, showcase thing for the new head of Interscope. I can't remember what her name was. But we were sort of not... Not we were it. We were kind of, like, writing new stuff, and we weren't in, like, a live playing mode, and all of a sudden in the middle of winter we had to pack up our stuff and go to Los Angeles and, like, play play this show to stay on the label. And I remember I had a new guitar and my string, I kept hitting it too hard to where the string <laughs> kept falling off the saddle. Uh, it was just one of those kind of shows that was like, had lots of technical yeah. weird difficulties and 
And so we were dropped from the label. And then we were told that we should change the name of our band if we ever wanted to sign another record deal. Right, probably for lawsuit stuff or something. I'm not or sure why. I almost got the impression that we had created a bad reputation for ourselves of being difficult to work with is the mm. impression I got, which was probably true. Because I think we were very young, but we had a pretty strong idea of what we wanted to do. So I think right. I think that they thought we were a young band and that they could just go, you should, you. you should do yeah. this. And that we'd be like, okay. And we were like, no, we don't want to do that. We want to do this. So we changed the name of our band. And also it felt like a weight off, to be honest. I At the time, it just felt like, man, to be able to start fresh sounds really exciting and a lot of people think this gosling record that we made was this like we changed our name and changed our sound but i always wanted to be a band that could make a really different records from record to record yeah. so the gosling record that we made was actually just going to be the next louder milk record we changed our name about midway through that process hmm when that was suggested to us. Um, so it wasn't an intentional it was, transformation it, No, yeah. And then when we changed our name to Gosling, then we signed a record deal with B2. And then same thing, our record had just come out and somebody bought the record label and just for the catalog and not to keep it as a functioning label. So now our record had just come out and no one... Mm. was going to be promoting it. The endless frustrations of yeah. the music industry. And so our band took a a break at that point. I think it was supposed to be for a few months, and the break never ended. And then when our guitar player moved to New York, I sort of knew that there would be no getting the band back together. And I think I decided eventually that I was just working so hard to keep my head above water in Los Angeles. I didn't have the headspace to be creative or have the time to yeah. do a band. And I kind of realized what's the point of being here if I'm just working a bunch of jobs to stay afloat. It took me a few years that before that dawned on me that I didn't have to be there anymore. Yeah, especially in this kind of new age of uh, the music business. I mean, it's a lot easier to be independent and not be held down to one particular location. And I mean, nowadays, are you, uh, like you own your own recordings and all that? Echo Larks is yeah. independent from all that stuff? Yeah, there's nobody, we're, I mean, we put, we put out a seven inch single and we put out an EP and we've just done it ourselves. But we're also still just in that developing. Yeah. So there's on. no real reason for us to go out pursuing any sort of distribution or deal or anything like that quite yet. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, got to start somewhere. Right, exactly. Judging on the, the songs I've heard so far, it sounds like you guys have come a long way in a pretty short while. Yeah, I feel it's cool because uh, leaving Los Angeles, I feel... Um, I, I started this band in the same way I did my old band, which was not with... I didn't go find a bunch of sort of pros that 
we're all necessarily from different bands or things that had this had a career like I had I kind Mm -hmm. of just went and started it with like people in my hometown or friends that I know yeah and so it feels pretty organic like that and then it's just taken us a little bit of time to play out for that chemistry to start congealing and it's starting to feel really really good where do you hope to take echo larks in the future any particular goals as far as the rest of the year is concerned i'm trying to write as much as i can and see how many new songs we can get before the end of the year and just play as many shows as possible because i kind of feel like that's the phase that we're in i just want us to get really uh, comfortable playing shows where that feeling when you play a lot of shows and you start to become more of this well-oiled machine yeah that's where i'm trying to get us right now that's a nice feeling all right well i really look forward to hearing you guys at lo-fi yeah likewise thank you for having me my pleasure davy ingersoll I really enjoyed that conversation. The guy's been through the ringer and he came out of it still making excellent music. I really can't wait to see them play live. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list if you'd like to get weekly updates on the podcast and for Niagara Moon. Go to niagaramoonmusic.com and scroll down to enter in your email address. Find the podcast on Facebook at Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you want to write to me with any questions, suggestions, comments about the podcast, you can email TATPPodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album Eating Peaches. Up now, we have another Echo Lark song. This is called Little Boots. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in next Wednesday.
man, I really like both those songs. And you know, they sound especially good when I listen to them on my Studio Sweden headphones. As I mentioned before, I have the Regent model. I think they block out more external noise than any other headphones I've ever used. So don't walk around outside with them. But if you're sitting at home and you're doing some critical listening, there's really nothing better. Uh, go to the link in the episode description and don't forget to use the discount code TATP. That's T-A-T-P as in talking about the passion. Haha. <laughs> to get 15% off your purchase. Studio Sweden. That's it. Bye-bye.